Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Pope Francis is meeting with President Biden today. What's happening in Virginia today? Terry McCall, if you're governor. His failing campaign. The state has filed a misdemeanor complaint. We know that Andrew Cuomo will be in court. I never touched anyone. It's a mandate now for police officers, firefighters. We're not anti-vaccine. We're anti-mandate. Facebook. Our company is now Meta. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Friday. Congratulations to the Pirates. Big win last night over uh, Central Florida. Hey, uh, the Biden and uh, the Pope got together. And uh, you would think that the Pope would have brought up uh, abortion, but no, they... uh, Mostly uh, talked about climate change. The uh, a little more things to say about uh, cousin Eddie in a little bit here. Uh, here's some good news. It's not a surprise, but uh, I think it's great news. Uh, a multiple media outlets are reporting that our lieutenant governor Mark Robinson, he was doing a uh, call with uh, E.W. Jackson, a minister and former political candidate who's been on our program before, Bishop Jackson. Um, And he said during this uh, conference call, Mark Robinson said, we're about 95% sure we're going to run for governor. We have not announced that we're going to run for governor, but we're about 95% there. It's a logical step for us to take, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, we need to get Mark on the air with us to uh, now I'm quite certain that is accurate. We uh, had Mark on eh, it was a couple of months ago. He was in eastern North Carolina for an event. And uh, it was pretty obvious then that uh, he was considering other things other than running for the lieutenant governor's uh, office again. And. It was on October the 11th he was in. It wasn't even a couple of months ago, just a few weeks ago. So anyway, uh, we will uh, keep an eye on that. And uh, I, I think that's great news. Run, Mark, run. News and Observer has got some more information out on that story that we told you about yesterday, that the Securities and Exchange Commission continues its investigation of Richard Burr for insider trading. He sold more than $1.6 million in stocks at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. In its filing, which came in a related case involving stock sales by Burr's brother-in-law, the SEC says it is investigating whether Richard Burr sold stocks on the basis of material non-public information on February the 13th, 2020. That would be a violation of the federal securities law. The SEC also is investigating whether Burr's brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Gerald and Mary Foth, sold securities that same day on the basis of material non-public information supplied by Richard Burr. Uh, What's interesting is the SEC contends that Burr, at the time of this non-public information concerning COVID-19, its potential impact on uh, economies in the U.S. and around the world, including information he learned from his position on the Senate Intelligence Committee, the state uh, or the Senate uh, Health Committee, and uh, through his relationship with former staffers who were directing key aspects of the government's preparedness in response to COVID-19, 
Burrs maintained that he made stock sales based on publicly available information. Now, what's curious about this is, stop and think about this. He has the inside information that nobody else has. Now, he said he's listened to Jim Cramer on CNBC. Jim Cramer wouldn't have even had this information. Burr has it. He sells, and he says, well, it was the information I got from, from Kramer. Um, I don't think so. Uh, so after Burr dumped more than $1.6 million in stocks in February 2020, a week before the coronavirus market crash, a week before the crash, he called his brother, according to a new Securities and Exchange Commission filing. As Benny said yesterday, you know, everything has got a paper trail these days or an electronic trail. So he calls his brother-in-law. They talk for 50 seconds. Even the length of your phone calls are recorded. They talk for 50 seconds. The very next minute, Burr's brother-in-law, Gerald, calls his broker, tells him to sell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he got a tip from Jim Cramer. I mean, look at the, look at the uh, timeline of this. And the, F, the, FEC, uh, the SEC, I should say, lays out an interesting timeline. Burr and his wife communicate regularly with his brother-in-law and sister-in-law via the phone in February 2020. Burr stayed at their home in Alexandria, Virginia, on more than one occasion in early February. So they're seeing each other and talking on a regular basis. On February 13, 2020, 8.45 a.m., I mean, they've got this down to the minute. Burr uses a cell to call his broker and directed the broker to sell $1,652,866 worth of stock, all but one of the equities in his wife and his, uh, his joint account, re- retirement account. They, the call lasted uh, 13 minutes. At 11.07 a.m., Gerald Foth, on his cell phone, called Brooks, Brooke, called Brooke Burr's cell phone. That's his sister. The call lasted 2 minutes, 36 seconds. At 11.32, Burr calls Foth on his cell phone. That call lasted 50 seconds. At 11.33, Foth calls his broker from his cell phone. Uh, he was told the broker was out of the office. The call lasted 1 minute and 6 seconds. At 11.35, Foth called a second broker from his cell phone and directed the broker to sell several stocks in his wife's account. The call lasted 24 minutes. Uh, At 11.38, Burr's broker entered trades to sell equities in the IRA account for both Burr and his wife. At 4.34, Burr logged on to his online brokerage account using an IP address assigned to an account registered to Mary Foth. At the Foth's home, the market closes at 4 p.m. Um, I don't know. It, uh, you know, uh, I, Benny, I can't remember if he said this on the air or off the air. I think he said it on the air that, you know, insider trading is hard to prove. It's been proved several times. And there have been folks that have gone to jail. And uh, folks in the political arena who have had insider information have gone to jail. Again, I mentioned this yesterday. I'd be interested to see if uh, Richard Burr's Ambien prescription has increased any. Fox News is reporting a Washington, D.C. district court has issued a temporary restraining order. This happened late yesterday that prevents both civilian and active duty military plaintiffs from being terminated after they sued the Biden administration over religious exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccines. None of the civilian employee plaintiffs will be subject to discipline 
while his or her request for religious exemption is pending. This from District Court Colleen Collar Coltelli. Uh, she ordered this according to a minute order obtained by Fox News. The judge has also ruled that active duty military plaintiffs whose religious exem- exemptions requests have been denied will not be disciplined or separated during the uh, pendency of their appeals. The court further ordered that the defendants of the Biden administration to file a supplemental notice by noon on Friday earlier today that indicates whether they'll agree that no plaintiff will be disciplined or terminated pending the court's order. 20 plaintiffs sued the Biden administration and members of his administration in their official capacity over the president's September 9th executive order mandating vaccines for federal employees. The Biden administration has shown an unprecedented cavalier attitude toward the rule of law and an utter ineptitude at basic constitutional contours, said the plaintiff's attorney, Michael Yoder. This combination is dangerous to the American liberty. Thankfully, our Constitution protects and secures the right to remain free from religious persecution and coercion. With this order, we are one step closer to putting the Biden administration back in its place by limiting government to its enumerated powers. It's time citizens in court said no to tyranny. The Constitution does not need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. <laughs> well said. Uh, now, this is really going to be interesting. Uh, by the way, the court order came the same day yesterday that Ron DeSantis announced that his state filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration over its vaccine mandate for the federal contact contractors. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. This ought to go up the ladder to the Supreme Court fairly quickly, I would think. And uh, what's what's going to be curious about this is will mayors and governors— who have followed this idea of this mandate, will they lean on this district judge ruling because it's coming down to the wire? I think it's, uh, what is, isn't it five o'clock today, just happened uh, at five today, that in New York, if you are a, a city employee, including firemen and policemen, um, you're, you have to take an unpaid leave of absence and I think the police department, they'll be down some 25%. The fire department will be down some 30%. Will people like de Blasio and Lori Lightfoot, will they look at this ruling by this judge? Now, I, I, I'm not saying that, that these liberals ever use common sense. But if they wanted to get out of the mandate that is sort of backfiring on their cities— would they lean on this court order as a rationale to at least temporarily allow these employees to continue to work without the vaccine? We'll find out quickly. The Epic Times is reporting the only Food and Drug Administration vaccine advisory panel member to abstain from a major vote earlier this week that essentially authorized Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for children as young as five did so because of limited safety and efficacy data. All 17 others voted to advise the administration or the FDA to authorize the jab for children between the ages of five and 11. The agency already supported doing so and is expected to formalize the authorization. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention would then decide which children should get the shot. Will that be mandated? 
you know, at that point, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Uh, in fact, this this article goes on talking about the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that over 40 percent of the children in the age group have already had COVID-19, almost half. Recovery from COVID-19 bestows some level of immunity, studies show, with multiple studies indicating that the level is actually higher than the vaccines. So supposedly, it's hard to tell, the numbers are probably higher than 40%. The reason why I say that is because we don't know how many kids have had it. If they're not getting tested or if they've had it and it's been you know several weeks since they have it, is it going to come back as negative? Are they going to test as negative even though they might have the immunity? Because the kids aren't going to know because they have very few symptoms. For them, it's a, a, a sneeze, a cough, or in some cases, it's no symptoms at all. But yet we want to vaccinate them? I, I, I don't get it. The doctor who did not vote for, he abstained. He didn't vote against it because he didn't want to be considered anti-vaccine. The guy's name is Dr. Michael Corella. He's an expert on infectious diseases and pathology who directs a division inside the National Institute of Health. He was the only one who voted or didn't support the recommendation. Again, he, he didn't vote. He abstained. But again, he, what, one of his rationale is, guys, there's very little studies on this. There's no need for it, and there's very little studies. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, we've already heard stories about youth who have gotten the shot, gotten the vaccine, ended up with enlarged hearts. You know, what kind of permanent damage could there be? What kind of damage is going to show up? Hopefully none. And I I don't come across as an anti-vaxxer, but mandating this for kids when there's not a need? By the way, another guy named Michael Koldorf says, um, I don't think children should be vaccinated for COVID. I'm a huge fan of of vaccinating children for measles, mumps, polio, etc. They can be infected just like they can get the common cold, but it's no big threat. They don't die from this. And by the way, the stats on uh, fatality for kids, uh, it was uh, eight kids During uh, the meeting, this is the previous story, during the meeting, members heard that among children ages 5 to 11 in the United States, there have been over 1.5 million infections since the start of the pandemic. Just 0.4% or a total of 8,400 of those cases have required hospital care, just 94. Now, look, I, I understand if it's your child, it's a big deal. And I understand you hear stories about children dying, but In the United States, since the beginning of the pandemic, children ages 5 to 11, just 94, have ended up dying. I I mean, the the numbers are, compared to anything else, I mean, the chances of these kids dying from an automobile accident, the percentage is extremely higher than dying from COVID. Getting back to the comments by Martin Kuldorf, I don't think children should be vaccinated. There's not a big threat to children. 
They can be infected just like they can get a common cold. It's no big threat. They don't die from this, except in very rare circumstances. So if you want to talk about protecting children or keeping children safe, I think we need to talk about traffic accidents, for example, which they're really at some risk. But COVID is not a big risk for the children. Vaccinating older people and people of all ages with compromised immune systems against the uh, COVID has drawn support from most medical experts, but vaccinating healthy young people, particularly children, has triggered more oppositions in part because of how little risk it poses to them. Children are more likely to contract serious disease or died from the influenza, the annual flu, than from COVID, according to data and studies that uh, Kroldorf has reviewed. Just 195 children under the age of four, 442 between five and 18 have died from COVID. So their numbers are a, a little off. Um, this according to the uh, Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. One example from Sweden during the first wave in the spring of 2020, which affected Sweden quite strongly, Koldorf said, but Sweden decided to keep daycare and schools open for all children ages 1 to 15. And there are 1.8 million such children who got through the first wave without vaccines, of course, without masks, without any sort of distancing in the schools. If a child was sick, they were told to stay home. But um, very few hospitalizations and very, very small percentage of uh, risk for kids. Anyway, but uh, the vaccine Nazis continue, but uh, a good positive step by this judge up in D.C. who told uh, Joe Biden, back off, back off. Maybe there's some good news at the end of the day. Hey, we got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about, including what's going on up in Virginia. That is a huge deal. I mean, we thought all along that Yunkin would win that governor's race, and now we're seeing some evidence that uh, maybe it's going to come to pass. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at 5, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in October the 29th and on this day, uh, 52 years ago, October 29th, 1969, something happened that uh, today is now considered National Internet Day. No, Al Gore did not invent the Internet on this day 52 years ago. Charlie Klein sent his first Internet message to his colleague Bill Duvall at Stanford. It was, quote, login. Not clear if Bill sent uh, a response like uh, LOL or something like that, but uh, the first Internet message was sent that day. So uh, it is also National Breadstick Day. So if you go out to dinner tonight, make sure you get some breadsticks with your uh, salad to celebrate. Um, it is going to be a pretty good-looking weekend tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 67, a little on the cool side, and a little breezy. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low around 51. Sunday. Halloween, mostly sunny with a high near 70. Sunday night, mostly clear, low on 48. And more sunshine on Monday. So all in all, as soon as the rain, which is now gone, is uh, looks like a good, uh, good weekend overall. President Joe Biden has uh, really getting a lot of uh, negative backlash. We mentioned yesterday how the Biden administration is considering giving illegal aliens, people that came into this country breaking the law illegally, uh, when families that were separated under the Trump administration 
Uh, now, how are they going to prove this? I don't know. But I'm sure, I mean, how did, they pro- how did the immigrants prove that they uh, deserved to fly from Afghanistan to the United States? I, I mean, there was no proof. And we now know that uh, a lot of uh, stories are now coming out that the Biden administration just wanted to fill up the airplane. So they were letting anybody and everybody hop on a plane to fly out of Afghanistan if you're first in line. Well, how are these people going to prove that they were separated at the border? But if they were under the Trump administration, the Biden administration is talking about giving them each individual up to four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Uh, As you can imagine, the pushback has been swift and strong. House Minority Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called it pure insanity. The Biden administration is reportedly looking to pay $450,000 to illegal immigrants who knowingly broke the law. It's a slap in the face to our law-abiding citizens who wake up, go to work, and pay their taxes. Donald Trump Jr., I can't repeat exactly what he said, but uh, I'll, I'll say, holy cow, how's that? The Democrats are insane. You lost your business. You lost your job. Family members whose funerals you couldn't attend. The IRS wants to audit you if you had $600 in your bank account. And uh, But if you're inconvenienced coming here illegally, you get $450,000. Ken Buck, Joe Biden wants you to raise your taxes, but give $450,000 to illegal immigrants. Let's see. Dan Bishop from North Carolina says Biden wants to send the IRS after the bank accounts of Americans struggling with skyrocketing inflation and empty shelves, but would pay $450,000 to illegal immigrants. Greg Murphy, quote, average American family income, $68,703. Biden administration wants to give illegal immigrants $450,000. Former uh, Representative Mark Meadows, quote, if this is true, this is absolutely nuts. Someone breaks our laws, comes here illegally, and taxpayers end up paying them 10 times more than many honest, hardworking Americans make in a whole year. Pathetic. And uh, that's just a few of the comments. I mean, there were dozens of comments by uh, multiple Republicans and uh, in office and not in office. I'm sure there's a few Democrats that have a few things to say. PJ Media is reporting that uh, Joe Biden is more desperate than ever to pass something. Now, he wanted to get this passed before he went over to see the Pope and do his little European uh, Joe Biden shuffle tour. Uh, So he couldn't get his three point five trillion passed. So he lowered it to five point seven one point seven five trillion and uh, continues to say it's already paid for. But Joe really thinks that this is his legacy. I was talking to my wife last night. Joe said, you know, you need to pass this for my legacy. Who who promotes themselves and their legacy? I always thought a legacy was something that, you know, after you were finished, whatever you you were working on, uh, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're a great baseball player, after you're retired and, uh, you're in the Hall of Fame, you know, maybe you can look back on your, quote, legacy. But for the most part, a legacy is something that you leave behind when you go to your eternal reward. And you don't promote your legacy while you're still 
doing what you're doing. Well, Joe's currently the president, and he's worried about his legacy. Joe, your legacy ain't going to be real attractive. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe. Your legacy is going to be, he took a very prosperous economy and tanked it. He took a situation in the Middle East in which there was peace and people were living in basic freedom out of the uh, out from underneath the iron fist of the Taliban and you ruined it you you looked at the mandates in which you forced people out of their jobs you ruined their careers you're forcing our active military from serving their country our military you ruined it that's what your legacy is going to be joe Really, I, I think you would want your legacy just to sort of disappear. I mean, your legacy is going to be worse than Jimmy Carter, and that ain't good. Another rhino is going to bite the dust. Illinois Representative Adam Kinzinger, one of the most prominent Republican critics of Donald Trump, announces retirement from Congress earlier today. Kinzinger delivered the news in an announcement video saying he remembered, quote, saying that if I ever thought it was time to move on from Congress, I would do so, and now's the time. Yeah, I think it is the time for you to move on because you couldn't get reelected. I'm surprised that uh, Liz Cheney hasn't announced her retirement. He said, quote, my disappointment in the leaders that don't lead is huge. Quote, the battlefield must be broader and the truth needs to reach the American people across the whole country. Kenzinger denounced the tribalism that has taken over American politics, warning that it has become so powerful that it risks America's ability to lead and overcome future obstacles. You know, yeah, it has gotten somewhat tribal, and it has gotten somewhat vicious, but because that's, there is a whole group of people that are ignoring our rule of law. They're ignoring the Constitution. They're shooting the bird at the Constitution. And we saw it in full display in the Obama administration when Obama came out and said, hey, I, I can bypass Congress. I've got a, f a phone and a pen. And we see it continuing today. Now, what we saw from Donald Trump was a huge pushback against politicians and administrations that were shooting the bird at the Constitution, ignoring the Constitution. And yet you had a mainstream media that instead of looking at what Donald Trump was doing as being someone who wanted to follow, embrace the Constitution, they just looked at him as uh, someone who is, oh, he's mean and nasty. Oh, he tweets a lot. Again, do we want, I mean, is, is the Constitution worth fighting for? I hope so. I mean, we had people take up arms in order to establish our Constitution, win our liberty, win our freedom. And now we've got a bunch of people that are upset because of, of tweets, because of tough rhetoric. So, uh, so we're just supposed to l lie down and say, run all over us. If you don't like the Constitution, just go ahead and ignore it. Kenzinger was one of 10 Republicans to vote to impeach Trump 
for inciting an attack on the Capitol as Congress met to certify Joe Biden's victory. He and Liz Cheney are the only Republicans serving on a select committee investigating the events of that day. What a joke this committee is. You, I mean, this is, this is evidence of what I'm talking about. You, Kinzinger complains about tribalism. And yet you don't have any problem with Nancy Pelosi telling Jim Jordan and Representative Banks from Indiana that, no, you're not going to be on this committee. I don't want you on this committee. The only people that are going to be on this committee are the Adam Schiff type of Democrat and rhinos. And Ken Zinger and Liz Cheney made the list. And you and you complain and we're supposed to sit back and say, oh, that's fair. Oh, I need to be polite because that's fair because Nancy Pelosi is having her way. She's running all over the liberties of Americans. But Kenzinger doesn't like it because if we complain, that would be considered tribalism. Kenzinger, you're right. Don't run for re-election because you wouldn't, you wouldn't pass. You wouldn't get elected. We've got to take another time out. When we get back, an interesting insight into um, Buddha Biberai. She is the uh, attorney up in uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, who wanted to jail Scott Smith. Interesting information about uh, how she runs her office. Stay with us. We'll be right back. show that really makes you think he is a genius he's all powerful he brought a kind of heat he could be the best just don't hurt yourself okay more news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 welcome back in buddha biberai that's an interesting name she is the commonwealth attorney for loudon county where all this um chaotic behavior with school boards coming out. Biberai was elected to her position with a cash infusion from George Soros's funded PAC. She is also a signatory member of the Virginia Progressive Prosecutors for Justice, an organization that members pledge not to enforce any laws that they dub anti-abortion. So basically she would be like um, an attorney general for Loudoun County. And um, they're supposed to enforce the law, but not if they don't like it. So this Buddha Biberai for Loudoun County, she tried to jail Scott Smith, the father who was charged with two misdemeanors after he uncovered that his daughter was sexually assaulted despite campaigning to end mass incarceration in the area. So she wants to end mass incarceration But when it comes to Scott Smith, who would have been in the way and they needed to vilify this guy, Scott Smith, because his daughter getting raped by a transgender in the girl's bathroom would have been in the way for the new transgender policy that they wanted to pass in the Loudoun County schools. Commonwealth Attorney Buddha Beberai appeared in court to prosecute Scott Smith. 
Meanwhile, Bibri passed part of the prosecution of the 15-year-old charged with sexually assaulting a student to prosecute Barry's wig. The Loudoun County Sheriff's Department arrested the teen who identifies as gender fluid. So I guess by gender fluid, this Barry Swig, if he feels like I want to uh, go molest a young lady, I'm a male. But if I feel like I need to get into the girl's bathroom, I'm a female. How quickly it changes. So when I walk in the door of the girl's bathroom, I feel like I'm a female. But when I get inside the bathroom and I have the opportunity to molest a young lady, suddenly I feel like a male. I guess that's what he means by gender fluid. After facing charges of assault at one of the high schools in Loudoun County, the teen was moved to a different high school under the supervision of Buddha Biberai. Biberai has since defended her decision, stating that the teen had no history of having done this prior to this offense that was alleged. Now remember, Scott Smith, the reason why he was arrested was because members of the school board, with the affirmation of Scott Ziggler, um, what was the guy's name, uh, Ziggler, I think it was, who was the superintendent, uh, they basically said that we, we, have no, we have no record of this ever happening. And one of the school board members basically looked at Scott Smith and said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but said in so many words, I think you're a liar and I think your daughter's a liar. At which he exploded. And then they told the sheriff's department, arrest this guy. And the rest is pretty much history. What's interesting about this, though, Biberai's former assistant city attorney has accused Biberai of failing the people of Loudoun County. And uh, this was actually brought to the attention of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors. The six months that I worked for Ms. Biberai, keeping the citizens of Loudoun County safe, was not the focus, said the former ACA. I could give you so many examples of how this office is failing the people of Loudoun County. The ACA also claimed that Biberai faced high turnover rates among her employees, with as many as 15 employees leaving within 10 months. Again, this is anarchy that George Soros wants. You, you look at these district attorneys, you look at uh, people like uh, Buddha Biberai, all have the same theme. We're going to enforce the laws that we agree with, and we're going to uh, ignore the lawbreakers when we think, hey, they're pushing our agenda. I, it's anarchy. If you're not going to enforce the laws, and if you have people in charge of the judicial system that glibly say, man, I don't think I agree with it, so therefore we'll ignore it. This is what you have. The good news of all this, the silver lining with all this, is it backfiring big time on liberals up in the state of Virginia as it relates to the governor's race. The newest polling, in fact, there's two different polls. One's an internal poll that has uh, Yunkin up over Terry McAuliffe by four percentage points, but a new Fox News poll that came out late yesterday uh, has McAuliffe at 45%, Yunkin at 53%, an eight-point margin. What's interesting about this 
is if you look a little deeper into the poll at some of the cross tabs asked about certain issues and by the way this poll took place on October the 28th which was uh, what well, was released on October the 28th uh, which was just yesterday some of the cross tabs Yunkin on the issue with parents so basically how did how did parents feel about Yunkin he was up 14 percentage points when they asked about what they thought of the two candidates on the economy, Yunkin was up by 11 percentage points. On education, Yunkin was up by 8 percentage points. On crime, Yunkin was up by 12 percentage points. On COVID, it was pretty much a tie on COVID, Yunkin was up by 1 percentage point. So uh, I, I would feel fairly confident that across the board, I mean, none of these issues— I guess maybe the parents and the education have a similar theme. But uh, on a variety of issues, Yunkin is up each time. So is it any wonder that Terry McAuliffe has gone out and hired Mark Ialis? You remember Mark Ialis, don't you? He was the guy that came down here to North Carolina after early voting had started in this last presidential election had gone over to the uh, state superintendent of elections and the Democratic-controlled state board of elections and got them without the okay from the North Carolina legislature, which is in charge of the rules and laws as it pertains to our elections. He goes in, threatens a lawsuit, and next thing you know, they're changing the rules of the election after the election process and early voting had already started. This is the same Mark I. Ellis. He has now been hired with a retainer check of $60,000 by Terry McAuliffe's campaign. What's even more interesting about this is when Fox News contacted the Terry McAuliffe campaign, apparently they, instead of hitting, uh, 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 they hit a reply all or something. And uh, one of the campaign workers said, could we please uh, kill this story? Can we please pretend this didn't happen? Uh, that, that We don't want anybody to know about this, is basically what they were saying. So Mark Ialis has been hired. Why would you hire them? And by the way, this check was written about a month ago. So apparently as far back as a month ago, Terry McAuliffe's campaign knew that this would not be a, an easy cakewalk. Terry McAuliffe has hired him. Why? Because after he loses... He wants to make a big complaint. He wants to say, oh, somebody cheated. Now, these are the same people that told us after the last year's presidential election, the November 2020 presidential election, there's no issues with campaign fraud. Everything's wonderful. Everything's peachy. Everything's, oh, what are you talking about? You Trump supporters, you're all crazy. There's nothing wrong here. And yet when Terry McAuliffe knows he's going to lose or looks like he's not going to have a, the cakewalk, He's not going to stroll into office. What does he do? He goes out and hires somebody before we even know the results to begin to complain, to file lawsuits that somebody cheated in this campaign. I couldn't possibly have lost. The American people love me, right? Yeah, right. And then McAuliffe brings in Joe Biden. <laughs> he brings in Joe Biden and Barack Obama. I mean, nobody likes Joe Biden. Joe Biden's got the worst numbers of anybody as president. And yet Terry McAuliffe brings him in as if he's going to help. 
I mean, all, all you did by bringing Joe Biden in was solidify to the voters of Virginia that you're clueless. We've got to take another time out. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. Costumes. Let's see. Batman, Dracula, a zombie, and oh, let's see. What are you supposed to be? I'm like um a news anchor. Oh my god! No, not CNN. I'm a good anchor. The news is full of tricks and treats. Your afternoon hosts will fill your bag, even when the news is too scared up. Now back to news and views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 1037. Welcome back in. Do you realize uh, it was on this day 92 years ago that uh, the big stock market crashed in 1929? And uh, happened on a Tuesday. I just, uh, you know, when it comes to stocks, don't ask me. But uh, are we in uh, just, uh, the, the stock market just goes up and up and up and up. Is it going to continue to go up like it did prior to uh, this day, back in 1929, or will it uh, pull back? I'm I'm not making any predictions here. I don't know, but it's just uh, curious. This day, 1929. Uh, The Supreme Court first declared an individual right to gun ownership more than a decade ago. The court's conservative majority relied on founding-era legal history to invalidate a D.C. law banning firearm possession in the home. An even more conservative court is poised to scrutinize on Wednesday the follow-up question left unanswered since 2008. To what extent do Americans have a constitutional right to carry loaded concealed firearms outside the home and in public places? Although some observers say it seems likely that the court took the National Rifle Association-backed lawsuit to overturn a century-old New York state law, which is similar to restrictions in several other states, there is a surprising split amongst conservative judges and legal analysts that could influence how the broadly, uh, how broadly the justices rule. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see what happens on this. Uh, my hunch is that um, it will be a pro-gun rights uh, verdict, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. By the way, uh, Andrew Cuomo, the disgraced former governor of New York, speaking of New York, is expected to be arrested next week over the charges we told you about yesterday. Uh, His political troubles, they're here. Is his political uh, journey, political career done? I think probably so. Andrew Cuomo to be arrested next week. Find out what kind of uh, sentence he will receive. Probably nothing nothing more than uh, community service. That's usually what happens to Democrats. Hey, listen, have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself. Happy Halloween, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.